Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to part two of the story of spice trade in Arabia. I'm Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy podcast, an archaeogastronomical podcast where on each episode we go to a different ancient time and examine recipes, ingredients and foods from that era. Today we'll go to the ancient Arabian Peninsula and we'll explore the importance of spices in the ancient uh, Mediterranean, Egypt and Mesopotamia. And we'll find out uh, what kick-started this um, incredible spice journey and trade between um, the Mediterranean and the ancient um, Far Eastern lands of Asia. Frankincense, which is one of the most valuable products from the Arabian desert, and it was so 4,000 years ago, and ever since, it's a wondrous liquid. Frankincense tappers call the creamy sap milk, or luban in Arabic. But this is the sweetest, whitest and milkiest of all frankincense, the internationally acclaimed Hojari Fuzus. Its quality is found nowhere in the world except in the highlands of Dofar. During the height of its use in the Roman Empire, more money was spent on acquiring this superlative form of frankincense than was spent on any other aromatic, incense, spice or herb, whether traded long distances by land or sea. In Babylon, those rich enough to afford it would bask in its smoke, purifying and imbuing their bodies with the fragrance prior to bouts of lovemaking. How odd it is that the unforgettable fragrance of frankincense comes not from its flowers or fruits, but from its wounds. Whether wounded by the weeping of branches during seasonal windstorms, bruised by the bruising of camels, or cut open by the crude knives of Oman and Yemeni and Somali harvesters, this injured bush offers a few grams of gum its only useful product. And if it's too badly injured, or too frequently milked, then the bush will succumb to a premature death. The Roman writer Pliny the Elder wrote descriptively of the frankincense groves 
that he called the forests of Arabia Felix. The forest is divided up into definite portions and owing to the mutual honesty of the owners, is free from trespassing and though nobody keeps guard over the trees after an incision has been made, nobody steals from its neighbour. Pliny also gives us a clear account on how the gum was gathered in similar fashion for both frankincense and myrrh. Incisions are made in the myrrh tree twice a year and at the same season as the incense tree. But in the case of the myrrh tree, they are made all the way up from the root as far as the branches which are able to bear it. The tree spontaneously exudes before the incision is made a liquid which bears the name of stacte to drop and to which there is no myrrh that is superior. Second only in quality to this is the cultivated myrrh. Of the wild or forest kind, the best is that which is gathered in summer. What is frankincense? What is this uh, milky sap that uh, kick-started the trade between East and West and made the Arabian tribes uh, so popular merchants and traders? carries the aromas of pine resin, vanilla, and, for some people, heaven itself. The smoke of the best frankincense soars straight up into the air. Frankincense is derived from a syrupy latex that does not become accessible unless the small tree is wounded by weather or livestock, or intentionally scored by harvesters. The slow-flowing latex begins to dry into a gummy resin below the wound on the bark, and then hardens into amber droplets, the size of tears. In a sense, the plant weeps when wounded. The fragrance and flavors of frankincense are so evocative spiritually and emotionally that this aromatic is mentioned at least 140 times in the Bible. Once it has been introduced to the Babylonians, Greeks, Romans and Egyptians, it became a symbol of purity, immortality and access to wealth. It was used to fumigate the bodies of the dead and of suitors on the verge of lovemaking, and was omnipresent in Greek and Roman temples, synagogues, mosques and cathedrals. By the time frankincense had travelled by camel caravan northward to reach Roman and Greek brokers, its price per volume had risen manifold. During the Roman Empire, a shipment of Yemeni frankincense cost five times what a farmer or artisan made in a year in the Eastern Mediterranean. Of course, it was the Minaeans Nabataeans and Phoenicians, who did the lion's share of transporting carrying as much as 3,000 tons of frankincense annually along three major transport routes to Babylon and the Mediterranean. Today, frankincense is still used and has four primary uses. First, the people of Hadramut and the Far Highlands continue to use it as fumigant, air freshener and traditionally medicine to stop bleeding. It also remains important in the Eastern Orthodox Church. It is distilled into an essence used in perfumes, facial cosmetics and aromatherapy products. Finally, it has become a historical curiosity sold to tourists and employed in novel ways by culinary artists in high-end restaurants around the world to flavor sweets and baked goods. At this point, it would be very interesting to see a recipe, kind of traditional um, Omani recipe, which uh, uses uh, frankincense as one of the spices, one of the flavorings of the food. And I think, I think something uh, like, um, it's called marak minj, which is kind of a green lentil curry. 
which is um, green lentil curry, which is um, flavored and spiced with frankincense, ginger, and um, an Omani spice paste. So although very rarely nowadays we use frankincense as a spice in the kitchen, well, the ancient people of um, Arabia, they use it a lot more, a lot more often. Not only because it had healing properties and because it was local, but also gave an extra depth of flavor and aroma in the stews. And of course, let's not forget its spiritual uh, value. And um, to this day, traditional Omani cuisine infuses both um, savory and sweet dishes with, uh, with the warm aromas and sweet um, smells of incenses like frankincense and um, rose water and other bright spices. So this lentil curry should be served with uh, obviously with some rice and maybe a fruit chutney and a fruit salad of uh, mangoes, apricots, figs and plums. This recipe for Marak Minge is a recipe from La Mige Abdullah Altayer from the Omani cookbook. It involves lentils, obviously, fresh ginger, coriander, parsley leaves, salt, lime juice, coconut milk, turmeric. And basically you cook the lentils until they're soft and tender. In a frying pan then you heat um, some oil and you add the ginger, coriander, parsley leaves and turmeric and you saute until uh, the parsley is uh, tender. Then you mix it with, uh, with the lentils, the frankincense, and at this stage you can either puree it in a blender or serve it as it is. And then um, add, of course, some of the traditional Omani spice mix, bizarre aswa, and stir well. The spice mix is also really nice on uh, rubbing and marinating meats with it. And it goes something like, um, you can't use obviously toasted cumin seeds, uh, coriander seeds, cardamom seeds, black peppercorns, fennel seeds, uh, mahleb, or chili peppers, some cinnamon and some turmeric. And then you combine all these uh, toasted fragrant spices once you pound them with uh, some garlic to make a paste. Make the paste a bit more loose with a bit of vinegar. So this paste is going to be thick, but um, pliable enough to massage and marinate your meats. Now, if we want to start from the beginning, from the very basics, the reason that aromatics were so popular, and even beyond that, what are the aromatics, uh, these vegetables and other products? Basically, any kind of herb and um, plant that uh, has been used uh, majorly and provide um, big flavors and aromas. And the aromatics were significant in ancient dining for their contribution to the flavoring of food and drink, and also to the perfumes worn by those who were dining, and obviously to the wreaths that they wore while dining, and to the incenses and oils that they burned in the dining room. In all these uses, if correctly chosen, they were believed to contribute to the health and mood of the participants. Helen, in Homer's Odyssey, according to an argument retailed by Plutarch, was a forerunner in using aromatics in this way. Also, the essential oils were the usual vehicles for perfumes in antiquity. 
the making of perfumed oils, both to wear and to burn, was already a big industry in the Minoan and the Mycenaean Greece, and in Pharaonic Egypt, and the Greek islands and Egypt continued to be the centers of this industry in classical times as well. So yeah, this importance of using all these aromatics, all these herbs, for rituals, for cleanliness, for health, and then in the food as part of the ritual of keeping everything clean and fresh and uh, holy, etc. Then, um, obviously, in classical Greece, few exotic spices were yet available. So we're talking about 500 BC around then. And fewer still were used in everyday food. Therefore, fresh and dried native herbs and seeds were almost the only aromatics that they were used. And uh, important culinary herbs, which we obviously know and we still use, were included coriander, oregano, thyme, and pennyroyal. The Greek terms chloe and hedismata chlora, or green herbs, referred to a chopped or pounded mixture of fresh herbs used as culinary flavoring. Greek phyllas is the name of a dish of bitter herbs, perhaps a salad, served, according to sources cited by Athenos, at the end of the main course of a meal. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's episode is brought to you with the welcome support of Malbian Creek, UK's leading supplier of premium Greek produce, wine, herbs, cheeses, or olive oil. From all over the wild corners of the country and working directly with small artisanal producers. There are many Greek herbs to enhance your dinner plate. 
King amongst them is oregano, and Malbin Creek has the best organic oregano from Mount Parnonas in the Arcadia region of the Peloponnese. Ancient Greeks thought oregano made the mountains glow. Hippocrates, an illustrious ancient Greek doctor, was accustomed to choose oregano for the treatment of many diseases. But you can use it in sauces, tomato salads, and on meats on your barbecue. You can also try something a little different. Savory, which is another strong pungent mountain herb, great in salads with olives and oranges, but also delicious with grilled lamb or mutton. Whatever you need, Malbian Greek has you covered. You can shop online and have the exquisite goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK, or you can visit the shop at Art 17, Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SC16, 4ET, Bermondsey, London. Malbian Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. And for you dear listeners, you can get a serious 15% discount if you go to malbiangreek.com slash delicious and use that to get 15% off your next purchase. In the Roman cookery of the empire, many spices were available from all over the known world. As we've seen, the, the ships started sailing down the Red Sea and bringing lots and lots of um, herbs and spices from India. But although less expensive and less prestigious, fresh garden herbs continue to be used liberally. And important herbs in Roman cuisine included coriander and oregano again, but also lavage, rue, parsley, celery, celery seed and mint. And the recipes in the book of Apicius call for one or more of these fresh herbs in nearly every dish that we see. So spices were good and obviously known to be used in food but not yet so readily available. One of the exceptions of this kind of spices was mustard, which is the hottest of the northern spices. Mustard was in use in northern Greece before 2000 BCE, and it was thoroughly familiar in classical Greece and Rome. In ancient sources, it is generally listed as a herb, not a spice, and this reflects its local origin and cheapness. The same could be said for coriander. These seeds can be used directly in flavoring cooked dishes, but in Europe, and certainly since Roman times, their usual fate is to form the main ingredient of a sauce with an unmistakable yellow color, a biting taste and a tendency to make the nose hurt. The earliest recipes for mustard sauce are given by Columella and Palladius. Columella already described it as a brightly colored. You ate it with ham, with other meats and with certain fish including swordfish. The word mustard and its equivalents in many other languages refer to at least three plant species. Brassica nigra, which is black mustard, Sinapis alba, which is the white mustard, or the yellow mustard as we call it now, and Brassica zuncea, or brown mustard, of which the first two were certainly known in classical Mediterranean. The Greek term is napi, the Latin sinapi. The Arab merchants apparently tolerated the presence of Indian traders in Africa, but reserved for themselves the commerce within the Red Sea. That lucrative commerce, which supplied precious stones and spices and incense to the ever-increasing service of the gods of Egypt. The Muslims and spices of India, they fetched themselves or received from the Indian traders in their ports on either side of the Gulf of Aden, carrying them in turn over the highlands to the Upper Nile, or through the Red Sea and across the desert, to Thebes or Memphis. One Arab kingdom after another retained the great eastern coast of Africa, with its trade 
in gold and ivory, ostrich feathers and oil. The source of the Arabian Gulf produced an ever-rising value in frankincense and myrrh. Whole cloths and precious stones and timbers and spices, particularly cinnamon, brought from India, largely by Indian vessels, were redistributed at Socotra and carried to the Nile and the Mediterranean. Gera, Obola, Palmyra, Petra Sabatha and Mariaba were all partners in this commercial system. In southern Arabia, well beyond the usual reach of these northern powers, lay the wealthy kingdom of Sabia and its neighbours. The region was both a source of aromatics, frankincense, myrrh and balsam, and an entrepot for the spices that have crossed the Indian Ocean. Some of these were transshipped at Arabia Evdemon, modern Aden, or other closely um, linked harbours, to continue by the sea towards Egypt. Others were transferred here to Kamal Caravan, on routes that reached as far as the Mediterranean ports such as Gaza. At this point, let's make a short diversion. Let me tell you a little bit about the Great Dam of Marib, an engineering marvel dating from the 8th century BCE, providing the lifeline for the people of the Kingdom of Saba, the Sabaeans, for almost a thousand years. Twice as long as the Hoover Dam in the US, directed monsoon runoff from the adjacent highlands into two sluices that fed a complex irrigation system for tens of thousands of hectares of farmland. Of all the irrigated date palm oases on the Arabian Peninsula, perhaps the one at Marib on Wadi al-Hana in northern central Yemen has the greatest primal significance to the history of the Arab peoples. Indeed, it is often considered to be the earliest exemplar of hydraulic civilizations, for when it was first built, some 4,000 years ago, it was the site of the greatest irrigation engineering achievement of its time, watering more than 4,000 acres of food and fiber crops. Historians claim that many of the cultural traditions now associated with irrigated agriculture throughout the world emanated from the Maharib, first to Oman and Mesopotamia, then across the Mediterranean to the west and to China in the east, and finally to the Americas. But when the Mayanian culture was flourishing, it did so by forging a symbiotic relationship between the more centenary Al-Had tribes engaged in irrigation agriculture and the more nomadic Bedou and Jabali tribes, which herded livestock or traded aromatics. While the oasis-dwelling farmers offered food security to all of the original tribes of Arabia Felix and many in uh, the Arabian desert, the camel drovers, incense gatherers and the spice traders offered both wealth and worldliness. The Maharib Dam was actually built in phases over thousands of years and ultimately irrigated more than 9,500 acres of annual crops, orchards and date palm groves. Its ultimate span across the Wadi Adhana plugged a 600-yard gap in the Balak Hills. When its final phase was completed in 715 BCE, the tightly fit stone masonry blocks of its walls 
rose 50 feet above the original stream bed of Wadi Adhana. On the sides of the dam, sluice gates send water down along 25-foot thick flood retention walls, abutting the bedrock of the Balak Hills. From there, mile-long mother canals channeled the stored flood waters down to secondary canals that ended the grain fields and orchard gardens of the Sabian farmers. These farmers then traded their agricultural goods with the Mainians. In exchange for frankincense, fennel, myrrh and wild medicinal herbs, the Mainian traders received the grains of a half dozen cereals, four kinds of legumes and a dozen kinds of tree fruits, and vine crops such as melons, watermelons and cucumbers. But then, some thousand years after, the Marib dam burst, releasing floodwaters. Overnight, the Sabian Arabs witnessed the draining of the reservoir on which they had depended for more than 40 generations. Their role in the world and that of the neighbors, the Mainian spice and incense traders, suddenly and irrevocably changed forever. By the third century of our common era, Refugees from the Maharib flood joined other Arabs and Semitic-speaking tribes in a diaspora of unprecedented proportions for its era. The great Arab historian Albert Hurani marks the outmigration of the proto-Arabic Semitic clans from Yemen during this time as one of the pivotal moments of Arab history. Many of these clans left the southern motherland for good, fanning across the peninsula and slowly transforming into the major Arab tribes that have dominated entire regions of the Middle East ever since. Some took the trails northward that had already been pioneered by the first mercantile caravans carrying frankincense to Mesopotamia, Syria and Egypt. A number of their descendants later entered the spice trade themselves. One of the first of these merchant cultures that we can put a name to is that of the Mainians from the land of Punt the place name that certain Europeans use for the Sahadic incense kingdoms that once spanned most of the present-day Yemen and the Tofar region of southern Oman. Pant is where the biblical scholars suggest that the legendary queen of Sheba resided, although most of the finest frankincense came from the Hadramaut and Tofar highlands, the Minaeans who lived to the west of these regions in their own kingdom of Man were among the pioneers who moved into the broader trade. At first, they likely sopped frankincense for the cultivated food crops farmed in the irrigated oasis closest to their seasonal camps. Later, they traded it for other products from the world at large. The Mainians soon became the regular go-betweens that linked two very different worlds. That of the nomadic tribes who wild-crafted fragrant herbs, aromatic incenses and potent medicines from the desert itself, and that of the centenary tribes who cultivated millet, dates, sesame seeds and flax and used saffron and indigo to brighten their lives. It was this group of intermediaries who gradually, but firmly, took control of the early spice trade in the southern reaches of the peninsula from 1200 to 650 BCE. Although they never achieved the full expansion of the domain to the entire peninsula, they set the stage for lasting interregional trade. 
Historian Carolyn Singer notes their pivotal presence even in the crossroad communities of the Hadramis and the Sabaeans and in Kwana, the primary port of the maritime shipping of aromatics. The merchants themselves would probably not have been natives of Shabwa. There is no evidence for either Hadramites or Sabaeans acting as incense dealers. It appears instead that there was a very specific group of South Arabians who acted as long-distance traders and who came from the Kingdom of Mine. According to Pliny, the Menaeans became the best-known South Arabians in the Roman world. They took consignments of incense to Syria, Egypt and Assyria, as well as to the Greek and Roman world, and they established a dynamic network of traders, each under the supervision of a magistrate, in various key points along the route. There was a settlement of Menaean traders in the Quatabanian capital of Timna, in the Hadramite capital Shabwa, in the outlying oasis of Dedan, and in various cities of Egypt, including Alexandria. Okay, folks, that's all for part two. Please stay tuned for the final part next week. Thank you for listening. I would like to thank my voice actors, Mark Knight, Jim Bryden, Baron Anastis, and Rachel Louise Miller. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Thank you for listening, and see you again soon for the next episode. If you liked today's episode, please go to Patreon and type uh, the Delicious Legacy Podcast and um, contribute something to help me do more episodes in the future. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.